Join now on the Ames Eye Des Moines Eye Care Thursday thesis by Cyclone Fanatic football analyst Jay Jordan. What's going on, my brother? Hey, Jared. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, man. I uh, I appreciate that, and uh, we echo that all to all the fanatics listening out there, traveling, and hope that they're able to stay safe. Do you have any big plans for the holiday? No, I don't really. We uh, we had some extended family members who were going to be out of town uh, for work over over the break, so we did ours on on Saturday. Actually, I, I missed the game live because of that, but uh, but that was okay. So uh, I have a pretty uh, pretty calm Thursday. <laughs> yeah, you didn't miss too much. Let me let me tell you that. At least you knew how it ended, <laughs> well, unlike the rest of us did. I, I, I did. Uh, I was checking the score, uh, but it was actually kind of nice to to watch it in retrospect. So I've watched it a couple times now. So um, feel pretty uh, pretty boned up. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll start there before we really dive into Kansas State. You know, I Jeff and I obviously talked about this on football and random things on Monday, but you know, there was it. It seemed like the Cyclones really were kind of sleeping through this one for probably the first three quarters and, you know, and then Brock Purdy was able to really turn things on in the fourth quarter and, and do what Brock Purdy does. Is that kind of what you saw too? You know, not really. Um, I was interested in that perspective uh, on y'all's, y'all's podcast this week and, and obviously not watching it live and um, not being there, uh, you know, not quite as, attuned to that feel so I will uh, defer to y'all uh, in that I didn't really feel like it was a um, a sleepwalk with the exception of a couple of elements um, and I'm going to toot my own horn here but uh, I had predicted a 10 point game with the uh, Cyclones being too much late uh, in order to create the margin for a win because I felt like Kansas, the Kansas program at three wins for the season still feels like Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, if they got four wins, having uh, watched the brilliant series about less miles on the ESPN Plus stuff, uh, I felt like four wins is a step in the right direction for that program and shows progress that he can recruit from and say, you know, we got one more. We did one thing better. We were better. Uh, we'll get better. and We need you here um, to do that where three wins still feels a little bit, a little bit more of a stretch in the recruiting trail to say, we need you to get that fourth um, as opposed to we need you to get, get to bowl eligibility. And so I felt like there's a high element of desperation uh with them, so I felt like they would they would be amped up and very prepared. And it's not that Iowa State wouldn't be; it's that Kansas has a couple of players and elements that are actually pretty darn good. I mean, Puka Williams is a very good running back. Uh, I think we saw that um, that Parchment kid, that wide receiver, has been making plays all year. And in the right circumstances and with the right plan, um, Carter Stanley can stand up and do a few things. And um, I felt like they had a chance to cause us a few problems, which they did. And and maybe there was a tone of 
apathy early or maybe not overconfidence. Uh, but I also felt like uh, Coach Campbell would probably play a few seniors, seniors a few more snap, snaps, and that would compromise a few positions on the defense and uh, maybe even the offense in a spot or two and uh, could cause a little bit closer margin than what we were comfortable with, and I think that's what played out. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, the defense was what was more concerning to me. I mean, the offense did, for the most part, what it has done for – you know, the majority of the season. Like I said, Brock did what Brock does for the most part, especially late in the game, completed his last 12 passes, eight of his last 19. I mean, it's hard to really sit here and nitpick what Brock Purdy was able to do in that game. But, you know, it, it, that's what was frustrating to me was to see the defense giving up some of the big plays that it's really designed to not give up. And, you know, that that was just a little bit concerning to me, I guess, when I after I've had some time to kind of step back and, and look at it from uh, not being in the moment, I guess. You know, and I'm going to write about this, uh, so it'll be, that'll be coming out because of being sidetracked, like we just discussed, but, um, that'll come out, uh, sometime tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, and I intend to, to reveal in that kind of an, an MO that, um, that Kansas seized upon that is just basically a vulnerability in the defense. And the defensive structure. And Chris mentioned this on his little pod thing he did today, and uh, that he he mentioned it with uh, Jack Whitford after the game. But these teams in the Big Twelve are playing against this a similar defensive structure week in and week out now. Oklahoma State, Tech, Baylor, uh, significantly, uh, even OU and Texas are using variations forms of the Iowa State defense because it's obviously effective. Now, each one does it a little bit different. It does it exactly like Iowa State. But when you're in offense and you're playing in the 11th game of the season and, you know, six or seven of those weeks, you've seen similar uh, defensive structures. You get a little better feel for where those vulnerabilities may lie. And Kansas did really the best job of any team that, that Iowa State has faced this year of hitting in those pockets. And, um, you know, it could be instructive film for, for others, but each team's not capable of taking advantage of it. And, and frankly, it was just kind of a, a weird matchup thing where Kansas is, is just, they're not only loose enough, they have nothing to lose, by uh, throwing some new things on the plate, but they also uh, had some ability to exploit certain matchups and put the defense in a, in a compromising position. And you and Jeff talked a little bit about that uh, in y'all's podcast, but, but that's, that's really, really what happened. You know, usually it's Oklahoma State, right, every year mm-hmm. that gets 500 yards uh, because regardless of what, Defense Iowa State runs, there's there's some difficulty in, in the matchups and how they run their offense. Uh, this year it was it was Kansas. And uh, even so, with that, Iowa State put the pedal down and uh, got down to business there in the fourth quarter and uh, put a top run. All 
All right, so that's enough about the the Jayhawks. Like I said, if you want to get a full dive into that, then you can listen to football and random things. And then, like you mentioned, you'll have your piece that uh, will probably be posted right. by the time this podcast comes out, so uh, people can go and, and check that out. But um, before we dive into Kansas State, there's a couple of different questions that uh, that I wanted to ask you. Uh, just some different things that have been discussed here this week. And, and this was one that I had a conversation with uh, Alex Halstead, Dylan Montz, and uh, Tommy Birch, who all obviously all cover Iowa State as well. Um, we were talking on Tuesday prior to Matt Campbell's press conference about the all Big 12 teams. Um, I was interested to know your thought, because I know you pay attention to, to all of these teams in this league. If you had to vote today, if you had a vote for all Big 12, who are your two quarterbacks on the all Big 12 team? Um, Charlie Brewer and Brock Purdy. Not Jalen Hurts? No. Yeah, see, that's that's what I said that mine would be Brock Purdy first team. I mean, that's just, that's my personal opinion. I'm probably a little bit biased. Uh, but I can already see where it will probably be. I'm, I'm already bracing myself for it to be Jalen Hurts and Charlie Brewer on first and second team. Uh, based purely one for Jalen Hurts on being his, his rushing ability as well. Uh, and then them being the two, the top two teams, and I know how lazy some of these voters are. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably the way it would turn out. I would, being a contrarian, would uh, go with who I thought uh, propped their teams up the most. And uh, Jalen Hurts, I think, is is right there. I mean, he's an outstanding player. No one, no one denies that. His uh, grit in the Baylor game in particular was uh, quite astounding but there were times in the Texas game um, and in the last three games in particular where you see where defenses make certain adjustments he becomes very pedestrian and while Brock Purdy and Charlie Brewer have their moments of vulnerability um, their ability to continue to lead their team and their offenses uh, I think has been outstanding and they've been greater catalysts for uh, solid victories than what Jalen Hurts has been for Oklahoma. And um, they also played higher levels of competition uh, prior to the last three games than what Jalen Hurts did. Yeah. And uh, while I'd, I'd take nothing away from him and wouldn't be disappointed if he's first team, which he probably will be, I just feel like the body of work from from Brewer and elevating his team and then Purdy and, and putting up, um, you know, such a fantastic statistical year um, have been better. Definitely. All right. So then my second question, uh, Charlie Kohler gets left off the finalist for the Mackey award. Did that surprise mm -hmm. you? And then um, if, if it did surprise you state the case for, for Charlie Kohler as the best tight end in the country? Um, it didn't surprise me. I don't know what the Mackey criteria are. Uh, it didn't surprise me in the context of um, his youth or relative youth, and I'm not sure what the – I say that without knowing, uh, you know, what age or what class the, the three finalists are in. Um, but statistically, it's – Tight end's a, a tough position to to judge for those type of awards because uh, 
while one guy may play primarily slot receiver, another may play on the end of the line and be a vital part of the blocking scheme for the running game. And I think if anything that kept Charlie off the, the finalist list, that's probably it. And Charlie's not a, not a terrible or unfortunate blocker, but he's, he's third in line um, on the Iowa State team and does get a ton of his production split out as a wide receiver uh, as opposed to coming straight off the end where he's a, both a threat in the run game and the pass game. And uh, if perhaps the other three players have a more balanced uh, approach to their usage than what Charlie has. Uh, I haven't watched them enough uh, to know. But the case for Charlie being on it is that he's, uh, his pass testing ability is such that um, he can play out wide uh, as effectively as wide out can and makes big plays, small plays, hard catches, easy catches. Uh, he's just a factor that has to be accounted for uh, in a defensive game plan. And if you're going to be an award finalist, I think that's where you start. Is this guy a game plan factor? And Charlie is, without question. And he's a game plan factor on a team with, uh, with talent around him. Uh, and that should elevate him to a finalist category. So I agree with Coach Campbell that it's disappointing uh, in that regard. If anything holds Charlie back, uh, and one reason I think he, he needs another year of seasoning uh, before moving on to the next level, it is that he needs to develop a bit more physical uh, presence in the, in the blocking game, both on the outside and, and on the interior. And, you know, if he does that, then he's clearly the best. Um, I still think that that's a, that's a bit of a flaw in his game that, that I think we saw manifest. Uh, and that said, I'm not disappointed by the fact that he was a semifinalist and that he made it to that final cut. And, um, you know, maybe the profile of the school had something to do with it. Uh, more than anything, it's probably that you have a group of voters who are uh, looking at things um, and voting without actually watching and paying attention to how important a certain player is to their overall team effort. Absolutely. All right, man, we will uh, take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about Iowa State, Kansas State here on the Thursday Thesis presented by Ames Eye, Des Moines Eye, on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Thursday thesis on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Obviously, Chris Williams is somewhere sipping on a pina colada down there in the Bahamas, and he it's Rob Gray's down there too. So uh, we had to call in the uh, the B team with uh, me and Jay Jordan here to talk about Iowa State and Kansas State coming up at 6 p.m. on Saturday down in Manhattan, Kansas, an, F, uh, an FS1 game. Um, you know, I, I asked Coach Campbell on Tuesday – you know, what he has impressed him most about Chris Kleiman. And then, you know, I asked him just how difficult it would be to have to replace a coach the way that, that he did in replacing Bill Snyder. And, you know, I thought he gave the perfect answer. Talking, He said that Coach Kleiman was maybe the best hire in all of college football last season. A perfect match, a great match, something like that. Just a perfect fit. And I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, it. I've been telling people for a couple of weeks that this feels like a Vampire 2.0 situation there with Coach Kleiman and 
uh, man, I, I just hope that, that his magic isn't quite as, uh, as dark as what Bill Snyder's was. Well, yeah, certainly as it, as it applies to, to upcoming contest, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, their record won't end up, uh, being anything that puts him in coach of the year, um, candidacy necessarily though big 12 may get some uh some props for that but uh kansas state was fairly depleted from a talent standpoint uh heading into this year there was there was every opportunity for them to have a have a rebuild and instead he elevated them which i think is scary for opponents who have to face him each year uh moving forward i think he's 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 very intelligent he's obviously dialed in and had a had a baseline of fundamentals that that reflected the values of Kansas State and, and Coach Snyder. Uh, but I think he brings some wrinkles uh, to that, and uh, they're going to be very difficult uh, because I, while Coach, Coach Snyder was, was clearly a, a tremendous developer of talent, uh, Coach Kleiman is, is also. But one of the things Coach Kleiman did at North Dakota State is uh, you know elevate the recruiting profile there. And um, I think he has an opportunity uh, to do that. We will, we will see as we move into recruiting season hardcore, but I think he could do that at Kansas State. And if you elevate the recruiting pro- profile with the emphasis on development that, that he obviously shares with Coach Snyder, then I think he has an opportunity to be, be one of the yeah, best hires and, and better coaches in the, in the Big 12. What have you seen from them offensively just as far as uh, scheme? Like how much of that has carried over from the previous staff and then uh, onto this one? You know, it's not not a ton different. There's there's a, a little bit greater use of, of play action, in my opinion, um, as opposed to pure uh, read option. I mean, one of the things I think it's easy to forget with, with Coach Snyder and Kansas State of the past is that they were essentially a, a read option option football team. Uh, Coach Schneider did it before it was really cool to do it. Um, you know, back in the way back with Michael Bishop and, and those teams where he you know, elevated and won conference championships. Um, that's what they were doing that no one else was. Uh, and they continued on and kind of perfected perfected that game. Coach Kleiman doesn't do that quite as much, um, though it's still a, a significant press, uh, presence in their attack. Uh, Coach Kleiman uses a more professional, uh, you know, NFL-type route with more traditional play action uh, that a lot of times is hard to differentiate from uh, a read option game. And uh, in so doing, I think, brings kind of a new edge to their offense. He's elevated their offense um, beyond what its physical capabilities were uh, this season. Juggernaut by any means, they're prone to um, have some bog downs and the power running game that they employ can be stopped. Um, I, I think that play action element is what gives me the most pause and fear of this game uh, from Iowa State's perspective and what uh, you will see them continue to develop How have you seen Skylar Thompson uh, progress this season? I mean, it seems like he's probably playing by far the best football uh, of his career so far for the Wildcats. 
yeah, it's just comfort and knowledge. He just has, uh, you know, quarterbacks don't always do this. They don't always take that next step in recognition and knowledge of the game. And, you know, you hear analysts very often talk about the game being fast. And it's uh, too fast for somebody or say that the game has slowed down, which has allowed for greater success. And that's that's really a great truism in football is as you become more familiar with not only your offense, but with opposing defenses and the different looks that you see, the game really does slow down. All of a sudden, uh, you know, I'll use an example, Max Duggan. I think Max Duggan is a is a fine quarterback with a lot of talent in the future, but the game is clearly very fast for him. He makes decisions that seem panicked at times. Charlie Brewer did that in the previous two years. Um, but we've seen both Brewer and Thompson take a step forward in seeing the game slow down, which allows them to see the field better uh, and deliver passes that are more accurate and with better reads. And I think that that's what we've seen out of Thompson. I don't know that he's, you know, a top-level quarterback yet in this league, but um, but he, he relied on a lot of athleticism last year, just like Brock Purdy did, by the way, uh, to the point this year where now we're getting that athleticism used in a way that's more effective for uh, him to be able to see bigger plays open up and safer plays open up down the field. And so I think his progression has been uh, uh, a product of maturity and a nice uh, high-level football IQ that allows the game to slow down and allows him to see more opportunities than what he did uh, in seasons past. Defensively, defensively for them, I mean, I know they've been um, somewhat up and down, even in, you know, from quarter to quarter, I think a little bit, if, especially if you look back like at the, the Oklahoma game where they did a pretty good job of being able to bottle the, the Sooners up there for a while. And then uh, once you start getting CeeDee Lamb, let, once you let him get loose, which we obviously learned the hard way, once you let him get loose, things can get a little bit interesting. But um, what... What do you see from them schematically? What's their uh, what What is things like for for the Wildcats there on the defensive side of the ball? Well, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, I I haven't dove in quite as hard as I probably will here in the next few days. But um, statistically, what jumps out at you is their their yards per attempt allowed in the the rushing game. I mean, obviously, Kansas State still plays a slow game, right? So. You know, if you get 50 or 60 plays, then, then you're doing pretty good. And that's about all that they're going to run to just because of the, the overall tempo and flow of the game. They still do a good job of slowing the game down in that part. But they give up over six yards of carry um, in the running game. And that's not Kansas State-like. And to the extent they've got a, a significant flaw, um, that's where it's, where it's rested. Um, I don't know if that yet if that's a product of uh, player talent and the abilities on the defensive line that they've had in the past that they don't have uh, this season, or if it's, you know, they play a little bit more of a, of a four, two, five uh, set and uh, which emphasizes coverage a little bit more than what coach Snyder did. 
Coach Snyder in the past is all about stopping the run, period. And you could get plays over the top on Kansas State because they were playing the run so hard. Um, Coach Kleiman does, and his defensive staff does it a little bit differently. They're playing a little bit more coverage, trying to stop some of those big plays, uh, and they've sacrificed a little bit in the uh, in the category of stopping the run game. Uh, overall, it still comes out to a very similar product, uh, but they do have a significant vulnerability that they have not had in the past, and that could be scheme just in the in the way that they're choosing to play their coverage, playing more nickel and dime than what they have in the past, uh, or it could just be a, a talent deficit that they'll, they'll seek to fit in the future. I'm not real sure, but it does create um, an opportunity and kind of a little bit of an excitement level on, on my side for, for what the running game can do on Saturday. All right, so last thing here um, before I let you go. What uh, you know, I'm not going to make you make a prediction right now just because we haven't done that yet. It's a little bit earlier in the week when we're recording that, recording this. But um, if you had a general feel right now uh, for which way your prediction will most likely go, what what do you think uh, think you would say say to that? Well, tell me this. I don't know. Have you have you seen? I think the opening line was three and a half, and that's moved to closer to five and a half. Yeah, I, I can pull it right? up here uh, quickly. Um, it is at four and a half now for Iowa State. Four and a half. So yeah, we've seen the line move move to four and a half, which is a you know still predicted to be a close game, but it's it's tight. I I, I don't think it's right given the history for us to feel real confident ever in in Manhattan or really for any any team to just because it's such a, a difficult place to play. There's a lot to play for. Both teams are seven and four. An eight-win season means a lot to both teams, um, and and both teams have a lot of uh, a lot of pride. This this will look more like a rival rivalry game than maybe it ever has. Uh, however, I think Iowa State has advantages in the way that that they play offense, and uh, if we see a defensive effort that's akin to the game against Texas. Um, the game against uh, in the second half against Oklahoma, then it's going to be difficult for Kansas State. I can, I, my gut, I'm kind of leaning towards a, a double-digit win for Iowa State. And that would be that would definitely be nice to be able to go down there and uh, and leave with a double-digit win. That would be, oh man, I don't know if there if there'd be any that would be more sweeter than that. I, I will say that would be be nice it to start a streak on those guys. Yeah. Yeah, we'd put yeah. a real cap yeah, around the sure. season going into the bowl game. All right, buddy. What's your good? What uh, you uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that I'm probably right there in that same range. I just – I have a hard time thinking – I have a hard time thinking that they're not going to have an opportunity at the end of the game, though, Kansas State. I mean, I we've seen it too many times with this program. You know, for some reason, they just keep chopping wood, keep chopping wood, and somehow they almost always have an opportunity to be able to, to win the football game right at the end and – that's where when I talk about the vampire 2.0 type thing, you know, it it just feels like he is he is the perfect mold to to go in there and really carry forward what what coach Snyder was able to do for so long, you know. He, I mean, he was you know, before you got went you went and got Ron Prince, he was just about as far opposite as what you could possibly get from Bill Snyder. And 
you know, they they handled that search perfectly where they, they went and got a guy who seems to, to really fit into that school of, uh, of what Coach Snyder was able to do. So I think that it's, I think it's going to be close. I do think the Cyclones will come out with a win in the end. I'd say they, they'll probably cover based on a four and a half point spread, but I'd say seven points. I mean, that's kind of what my gut is right now. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, it can be one where it's, it's them maybe making a big stop at the end and not having to drive down the field to score a touchdown or something like that and giving us all a heart attack. It's truly the most proven game of the season, in my opinion. So, yeah, we will see. Yeah, I agree. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks for taking some time. Have a great holiday. Tell the tell the family. Uh, say hello. Um, and we, uh, we're thankful for you. All right, buddy. We, uh, I'm thankful as well. My family is as well. And, uh, we have all the well wishes to you and to all the Cyclone Nation out there. Awesome. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right, buddy. Bye. Thanks everybody for listening to this week's episode of the Thursday thesis presented by Ames. I Des Moines. I care here on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network. Truly, from the bottom of our hearts here at Cyclone Fanatic, I just want to say that we are so thankful for all of the people who enjoy consuming our content, who go out of their way to listen to the Cyclone Fanatic podcast or read stories by myself, Rob Gray, uh, Chris Williams, Brent Brent Bloom, whoever it may be. You know, we are so incredibly thankful for you guys, uh, and we are thankful for you know the folks that that support us here at Cyclone Fanatic. We hope that you guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Hopefully the Cyclones can get a couple more basketball wins uh, over the next several days, and hopefully the Cyclones can come out with a win over the Wildcats on Saturday. And we're going to have full coverage of all of it here at CycloneFanatic.com. Chris will be doing podcasts from down in the Bahamas. I'll be doing stuff on football. It'll be a, it'll still be a good couple of days. Have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with your family, families, and everybody travel safe. We will talk to you guys again soon here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.